Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Excited to preach to you today. It's a special Sunday um, for those who are maybe unfamiliar with the global church calendar. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and you got to say it like that: Pentecost Sunday. Um, but before all of the uh, Baptists and John MacArthur disciples freak out and run for the door, uh, thinking we're going to take out tambourines, shofars, and snakes and start pushing people over, let me set your your hearts at ease for just a moment, okay? Uh, the word Pentecost is not a scary word, okay? It is the day that the Spirit of God was poured out on the church, the New Testament church was birthed, but Pentecost does not define a religious sect of society, a certain denomination, a worship style. The word Pentecost is actually a Greek word that just means 50. It's a numerical term, so there's no reason to be scared of the the number 50. It's the only other term in the Bible that people are scared of because they're scared of tithe. That's another number term, but they're scared of 50. There's no reason to be scared of it. In fact, anytime you see 50 in Scripture, it, it has a representation of new life, fresh beginnings, and liberty. So here's the deal. If there's new life available today, if there's liberty available today, then I'm okay with calling myself a Pentecostal. Go ahead and wave a hanky and get down with me because I want some fresh life today. Can I get a witness in the house? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I got a couple of y'all. I, I see you. I see you. Preach with me today, okay, because the rest of them are going to be quiet, but you guys can engage with me. It'll be good. So in light of this celebration, in light of Pentecost Sunday, we are going to conclude a series that we've been in for the last month and a half called Who Am I? with a very timely message about this holiday. Uh, For anyone that's not been with us up up until now or maybe because of last week's interruption, we've forgotten what we were talking about. Let me me drum up our memories ever so gently. Uh, During this series, we have been looking at a number of the identity statements that Jesus makes about us in Scripture. Statements that start with, you are. Are. And at the beginning of this series, we established a thesis that we have revisited each week and proven out through our text. And I want to remind us of that to, again today because it will prove important in unpacking the scriptures we're going to look at. Uh, for those taking notes, you can write this down. Here, here is the thesis. You will live according to your perceived identity. You will live according to your perceived identity. In other words, your actions are the byproduct of the way you see yourself. That the person you see in the mirror, the way you think about your life, the truth or the lies that you've bought into will determine the way you live your day-to-day life. For example, if you believe what the enemy says about you, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, as scripture calls him, if you believe that you are a mistake or you are a failure, that you are unworthy of love or affection, if you believe what your broken past has said about you or what broken people have said about you or how your society defines you, then your life will inevitably follow suit. It will become a downward spiral of self-fulfilling prophecy where you live guilty and ashamed thinking that you'll never amount to anything in God because that's what you believe about yourself. But alternatively, if you believe what the word of God has to say about you, if you believe what your creator, the one who made you says about you, that you are blessed and you are forgiven, that you are whole, that you are the head and not the tail, that you are above and not beneath, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, you are victorious, you're heirs of an eternal inheritance. If you believe that, it's going to play out in the way you live your life because you will live according to your perceived identity. And with that thesis and truth in mind, every week we've unpacked a different you are statement that Jesus has made about us. He said, you are the salt of the earth. 
You are the light of the world. You are more valuable to me than sparrows. And the last one we looked at, you are my friends and no longer slaves. But each of those you are statements, they have been teeing us up for this climactic conclusion. They've been preparing us for this Sunday because the you are statement we're going to consider today makes all of those others possible. Without today's, we can never be the salt, the light, the friends that Jesus has called us to be. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts chapter one. We're gonna be spending our time there today. Uh, but let me, let me set this up with a little bit of context so we're aware of what's happening before we get into our, our key text. Uh, Jesus is now resurrected from the grave at this point. Uh, for the last 40 days, he has been appearing to his disciples and giving them some information as he prepares to ascend to heaven uh, where he will remain until he comes back one day on a white horse and redeems his bride. Uh, and here in Acts chapter one, he is giving some final instructions to his disciples right before he's about to ascend. He's preparing them for his departure. And here's what he says in Acts chapter one, starting in verse uh, four. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift. Everybody say gift. Yeah. It's an important word. We're gonna camp on that a little bit later. The father will send you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were all watching, and they could no longer see him. So, so unlike our previous statements here, Jesus does not use the present tense, but rather he uses the future tense to refer to our identity. He does not say you are filled with power or you are my witnesses because he is speaking about a time that has not yet come. However, theologians will include these statements among the you are statements of Christ because the day that Jesus was speaking of has now since passed. He was talking about Pentecost, which has come and gone. And so we can say with certainty that we are now on the fulfilled side of this promise. And with that in mind, I offer you this title. I wanna call this, You Are Empowered. You are empowered. In fact, why don't you turn to somebody real quick, give them a little flex of a bicep and tell them, I got that power. Yeah. <laughs> this is your chance. If you're sitting next to someone who's single and you wanted to show them you've been at the gym, you just, come on, I'm hooking you up. All right. <laughs> okay. Before this turns into a dating market, let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you as we were singing about just a moment ago. Come and move in our midst today. Blow through this place. Uh, speak to us, especially in light of the, the day we're celebrating and the content we're going to be looking at. I, I pray that we would have a fresh encounter with you this morning. Uh, as we were singing about a moment ago, we, we set aside our religion. We set aside our ideologies and our mindsets and every preconceived idea of how you work and what you're like. And we just say we're open to receiving you in a new way today. Come and move in this house in power. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. So for the last couple of weeks, um, Robin and I have been talking about selling our gas-powered vehicle and uh, purchasing an electric vehicle for the first time. Um, and by Robin and I, I mean that I have been tirelessly trying to convince my wife to let us sell our gas-powered vehicle and get a battery-powered vehicle because I believe it's a wise financial decision, decision and it's good for our globe and global warming and all of those things. I'm trying every argument and it's not working yet. But uh, I, I really want to buy uh, an electric vehicle because 
to me, it seems like that's the direction our world is going. It's only a matter of time before we're all going to be driving around on batteries and little jets and cars. And the, the government is really trying to push it down the throats right now. And so they're offering all kinds of incentives on federal, state, local levels to encourage consumers to make that decision before they force us to make that decision. And I don't know if anyone else is like this, but I hate missing out on a good deal. All right. I am the guy. If I find out that there's a sale on something and I might have to pay full price later, I will expedite my purchase. Is anyone else like that? Like, yeah, I do not like missing out on a deal. I really want to get the deal. In fact, I just learned a couple years ago uh, from Robin that when you see that sign at the grocery store that says two for four dollars, you don't actually have to buy two in order to get that price. You can just buy one for two dollars. So for nearly 40 years, I've just been stuffing Oreos and chips in the, in the, in the basket because I don't want to miss out. On, I hope that isn't alarming to you. Like I'm the pastor leading this church and I did not know that, but I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. But I don't want to miss out on a deal. And so I've been researching cars like crazy for the last couple of weeks. And when I am about to buy something big, I, I get really obsessive about it. I talk about it all the time. I research the thing to death. I watch the videos. I read all the articles because I don't want to make a bad decision. And since we are a one-car family, I've been doing all of my research to make sure that we would not be making the wrong decision. So if anyone in here is considering, you can come to me. I'll give you all the info. Maybe I can live my EV dreams through you because... Uh, at the moment, my wife would rather remodel our basement uh, instead of purchasing a car because she works from a small desk inside of our living room, even though I offered to let her work from the car if she got it, but she, she just wasn't interested. <laughs> but in all of my research for these electric vehicles, um, I stumbled upon a term that apparently is pretty common in the potential purchasing EV world, a term that has caused about 80% of those considering to, to abandon their hopes and dreams of electric vehicles and stay with their gas-powered cars as a result of these words. And, th and that term is range anxiety, range anxiety. In fact, it's even in Wikipedia, the source of all wisdom and truth. And it says this, uh, range anxiety is the fear that a vehicle might have insufficient power to cover the distance necessary to reach an intended destination. Might not have the power to get to where you want to go. So because charging stations are, are not as common as gas stations, there is this lingering concern in the hearts of potential EV purchasers that if I buy this car, I may not be able to get to where I want to go. To, to use a simple phrase, there is a concern that they will run out of range before they run out of road. And as I look at Acts chapter one and these words of Jesus, I think we witness somewhat of a similar concern. Jesus is concerned as he's preparing his disciples for his departure that they might run out of range before they get to their intended destination. A destination that he has spent his entire ministry talking about. John chapter 10, John chapter 14, John chapter 20. Jesus has made it evident that everything he is calling his disciples to do ultimately is to lead them to eternity. Heaven is the destination. He said, I've gone to make a place for you in my father's house. I'm preparing a room for you in eternity. You know how to get there. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life that's gonna get you to eternity. Time and time again, Jesus is reminding his disciples that this is not it. The here and now, the world we're living in is not what we're living for. We are living for eternity. In fact, let me just take a moment here and do a little mini preach if I could. This ain't it, people. The day-to-day, -day, the things that we're chasing in this life, this is not what life is all about. Heaven is the prize. Heaven is the goal. We're not called to become obsessive about the here and now and what's next. 
No, we are running a race and fixing our eyes on eternity. It's not about the next job title or the next opportunity or the next relationship status or the next financial situation. That's not it. We're not living for the house. We're not living for the more comfortable retirement. We're not living for the even potentially electric vehicle purchase that some of us wanna make. That's not what we're living for. We're living for eternity, the day where Jesus looks at us and he says, how did you live your life? And we tell him, I did my best to live for you. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. If our pursuits and our passions and our aims and even our struggles are not aimed at that, then we have missed the whole point of this thing called faith. It is all about eternity. And Jesus knew for us and for his disciples that Although this was the destination, it was going to be a difficult journey. It was not going to be easy. Narrow is the gate, he said, leading to heaven. He knew as he addressed his 12 disciples this day that they were going to endure intense persecution. Some of them would be beaten. Others would be whipped, arrested, some fed to lions, some crucified upside down. He knew that their journey was going to be challenging. And so in an effort to ensure that they didn't run out of range before they got to where they were supposed to go. He says, I'm gonna give you something that you desperately need in order to get to where I'm calling you. I'm going to give you power, he says. Go and wait in Jerusalem for the gift, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Everybody say power. Power is an important word in scripture. In the Greek, it is the word dunamis, which means supernatural strength or ability. Supernatural strength or ability. Dunamis, looks, or dunamis speaks to a kind of strength that you cannot possess in your human flesh. It is divine enablement. It goes beyond your, your, your strength and your ability and your intellect. It's something that only God can do. In fact, anytime you see this word in scripture, it is generally referring to something that only God could do. Jesus was said to have dunamis power to heal the sick. When the woman with the issue of blood ran through the crowd and clung to his garment, it says that dunamis is what left him. Even at the end of the Lord's prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, it says your kingdom and your dunamis power and your glory forever and ever, amen. Every time this word is used, it's speaking about a power that goes beyond our human capacity. But, but to really help drive home this thought, and since I have not used a prop in a little bit of time, I've brought with me a, an illustration today, uh, and it's this, uh, a stick of dynamite. Uh, don't worry, this is not real. Uh, I got it on Amazon. Uh, I don't think you can buy a real dynamite on Amazon. Although when my daughter did ask me as I pulled it out of the package, is that real dynamite? I may have convinced her that you can buy explosives on Amazon. So I will be checking her search history from now on just to be sure. But, but did you know that the English word dynamite actually comes from this Greek word, dunamis? It comes from the Greek word because this stick of dynamite has the capacity to do something that we cannot do in the natural. It's explosive. If I were to go out front today and attempt to dig a hole with my hands, maybe after a few hours, I could, I could get it a couple feet deep. But in a millisecond, with the megajoule of energy contained inside of a stick of dynamite, one blast could make a hole large enough to knock down an entire oak tree. 
I'd go up front and I could push on that concrete wall with all the mosaics and the Masonic images as hard as I can to see if it would fall over. And I've tried. (laughs) But nothing would happen. Yet one blast from a stick of dynamite could level sections of that wall in an instant. Why? Because this has the ability to do what I cannot do in the flesh. This has the ability and the strength to accomplish what I cannot accomplish in my own ability. And and, and Jesus says in Acts chapter one, I am going to give you this kind of power. I'm going to entrust to you this dunamis capacity, the ability to do things that you would never be able to accomplish in your flesh. Even the most intellectually advanced among us, even the strongest person among us, the one who can do the most push-ups, will not be able to do what I can do through you if I give you this kind of power. But then he takes it a step further. Not only does he tell us he us, he'll give us power, but he tells us the very purpose for this power. In the very next verse, after he tells them that they will receive power, he says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, in Pacifica, in Daly City, come on, in San Bruno, in San Mateo, in Mill Valley, Antioch, I have friends from Antioch, I'm trying to think of other cities, everywhere, all throughout the earth. I'm gonna give you this power and it's for a purpose and that purpose is to be a witness, he says. I know I made you say one word, I'm gonna make you say another. Everyone say witness. Another very important word in scripture. In fact, I want to camp on this word for a couple of moments because I think many believers have misunderstood this word and as a result of our misunderstanding, we've misapplied this word to our day-to-day Christianity. I would go as far as to say that some people have mistaken what it means to be a witness and therefore forfeit the power that could be theirs as a result. In Christendom, when you hear the word witness, our mind immediately goes to the verbal presentation of the gospel. We think about a preacher or a teacher or even through conversation, someone sharing the good news about Jesus with an individual that may not know him. But when Jesus speaks of being a witness, that isn't necessarily the only application of this term. He's not solely speaking of this verbal presentation of the gospel. In fact, it is a much broader term as it's used throughout the scriptures. This word shows up at times when the person it's referring to isn't even speaking at all, and yet they are still capable of being a witness. In fact, in some cases, it speaks to those who are being martyred for their faith, executed for their belief in Jesus, and they are said to be witnesses in the Bible. There's a great cloud of witnesses right now that stands around applauding us, saying, come on, you can, you can run your race of faith according to Hebrews. Time and time again, this, used, this word is used having nothing to do with speaking. So if I could offer a secondary definition for it, I would offer this. A witness simply means to be a visible testimony to the power of Jesus. That's it, a visible testimony to the power of Jesus, which means you don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be a teacher, you don't have to be evangelist, you don't even have to have a comprehensive understanding of the scriptures in order to be a witness. A witness simply just means my life is demonstrating to a watching world that God is all-powerful and capable of doing all things. It is a visual representation. To borrow a phrase from the saint that our city has memorialized, St. Francis, he said it like this, 
Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. That's a quote right there. That's a mic drop moment. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Your life is a witness whether or not you're talking. You don't have to open up your mouth and preach the gospel to somebody in order to be a witness. You are a witness when you live with integrity in a corrupt culture. You are a witness when you operate with sexual purity in a perverse culture. You are a witness when you stay married to your spouse, even though you're going through a difficult season when everybody else is running off to get divorced. You are a witness when you honor God with your finances. You are a witness when you are kind. You are a witness when you are generous. You're a witness when you're walking through a difficult season or you've got loss and you have peace instead of panic. You are a witness when you build your life on the truth of God's word and not the truth that is being presented to you out there, saying, I'm not going to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. All of these things qualify as witness. Now, I'm not suggesting you should never share the gospel or tell people about Jesus. By all means, do that. You are a witness when you invite a friend to church or sit down with a family member and tell them about Christ. But your witness is not limited to your words. Your witness has the ability to work its way into your day-to-day -day doings. You are a witness whether or not you are talking. But Jesus tells us that this kind of witness, the, the witness necessary, the, 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 the forgiveness, the, the victory, the generosity, the integrity, none of it is possible unless we have something called power. We cannot do that in our flesh. You can't stay married in your flesh. Oh, no. You can't forgive in your flesh. You, you can't live with integrity in a culture like this in your flesh. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be that kind of a witness in our world. And to prove this reality, Jesus introduces us to a character in Scripture. Someone that I think is perhaps the greatest before and after example of this power. It's the closest thing the Bible gets to like that workout program where they're trying to sell it and you got that person that looks like they really need to work out and then 90 days later they're just chiseled and they're like, ah, come on, you want to do the program with me? I can do the show you. They're like, yes, I want to do that program. I want to look like them. The Bible's got that for you. And Jesus does it with a guy by the name of Peter. Uh, for those who don't know who Peter is, I'll give you a little, a little bio. Peter is the resident hood rat among the disciples. <laughs> yeah, I like the snaps. He's the ratchet one. He's the guy who's always inserting his foot into his mouth, saying things he shouldn't say, acting before he thinks. A guy that I can resonate with most of the time when I read about him in scripture. At one point, uh, Peter stands before Jesus and he's like, I will die for you, Lord. And then like a moment later, he like rebukes Jesus and Jesus looks at him. He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, that's a rough day. If you just went from martyrdom to like Satan, that's rough. Uh, another occasion, he's in the garden as Jesus is about to be handed over to the religious leaders to be condemned to crucifixion. And in zeal, Peter takes out a sword and he just chops off some dude's ear. And Jesus is like, hey, that's my bad. I'm gonna put that back for you real quick. Don't, don't, just don't worry about him, okay? He's a little, he's a little crazy. This is Peter. And, and when we look at the actions of Peter throughout scripture, it, 
I mean, at face value, it looks like he's a pretty bold guy. You're like, okay, this guy really knows what it means to like live for God. But then there's this moment where Peter's true colors are revealed. A moment where he should have been a witness and instead he becomes a coward. The story goes that as Jesus is standing in front of the religious leaders and accusations are being leveled against him in an attempt to convict and ultimately crucify him, Peter's standing out in a distance, warming himself around a fire with a few other people in a courtyard. And while he's there, a young girl walks up to Peter and she starts looking at him. And after a couple minutes, she points at him and she says, I know who you are. I've seen you before. You're one of the disciples that follow Jesus. And this same guy who told Jesus just a few chapters earlier, I would die for you, now finds himself being questioned by a little girl. And for fear of sharing the same fate as his savior, he says, I don't even know Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm definitely not one of those disciples. And this happens not once, not twice, but three times he denies Christ. Leaving us all to ask the question, how does a guy like Peter, a guy who has seen Jesus do the miraculous, feed 20,000 people with a five loaves and two fish and open blind eyes and deaf ears and raise the dead and cleanse the leper, how does a guy like that deny Jesus to a little girl? Well, the answer is simple. That's what you do when you don't have any power. When you're faced with pressure, you buckle. So let me stop the story here for just a moment and do that thing that I love to do every single week, pose an uncomfortable question to force all of us to personalize everything that we're discussing, lest we end up throwing stones at a disciple whom we probably have a lot in common with. Let me ask you today, how are you denying Jesus right now? <laughs> I love that whistle. <laughs> How are you denying Jesus? And I know what someone's thinking, like, you don't know me. How am I denying Jesus? <sighs> I have a cross around my neck. I put a fish on the back of my minivan. I listen to Caleb with the windows down in my car, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if a little girl came up to me today asking if I'm a Christian, I would be a bold witness for Jesus. Okay? Gear down. It's cool. That might all be true. But remember, your witness is more than your words. It's more than just a verbal presentation of the gospel or a tattoo on your arm or a cross around your neck. Your witness has everything to do with your day-to-day -day life. So you can deny Christ with your actions, even if your lips are claiming to know him. So let me ask, how's your integrity? How, how do you respond when when you're wronged by other people? How's your speech? Are you divisive, slanderous, running your mouth, gossiping out there? What's your posting on social media look like? Does it look like Jesus? Do your double taps look like Jesus? What are you feeding on? When someone offends you, are you quick to forgive or do you nurse unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart? Want to retaliate? Because listen, you can slap a fish on your car and put a cross around your neck, but if you can't live with integrity in your culture, forgive those who've wronged you and speak life instead of death, then I hate to break it to us, but we're just another spineless disciple denying Jesus in front of a little girl. 
How are you potentially denying him right now? And if that question makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, then I provide some good news this morning. The same good news that Jesus gave to Peter here. You don't have to stay that way. There is an empowerment available that will allow you to stand strong in the face of temptation, a power that will enable you to be a witness in every situation, a power that will enable you to forgive even when you've been wronged, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Fast forward, Peter is now with the disciples hearing Jesus and these parting words he spoke in Acts chapter one, verse eight, telling them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit and that they will receive power when the Spirit comes upon them. And we see this power poured out on the disciples now on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. We read this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers, which included Peter, were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there's a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard this loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So, so now, once again, Peter has a decision to make. Here he is, the Spirit of God is being poured out, and there's once again a crowd wondering, hey, what's this all about? Are, are, are you going to be a bold witness for Jesus, or are you gonna take this off-ramp and say, oh, you're right, we're just drunk, okay, this is weird, I know it's weird, there's like tongues above our heads, like, this is awkward, it's fine. We were just drinking a little bit too much. Which way are you going to go, Peter? Are you going to be a coward or are you going to be a bold witness for Christ? But now, having received the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up in front of 3,000 people who are questioning him and he begins to preach the gospel with boldness. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is too early for that. That's a word of knowledge for somebody here today. <laughs> Nine o'clock is too early to get drunk. Nine o'clock is too early to get drunk. Okay, good. Clear. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And from this moment on, Peter begins to preach the gospel with power and with clarity. 3,000 men and women are saved and baptized and added to the New Testament church. And the place you're sitting in right now is birthed as a result of the boldness of Peter in this moment. Same guy, new power. Same opportunity to cower away but this time he stands boldly and he says, no, I will profess the name of Jesus in front of all of these people. What changed? The power of the Holy Spirit. He received the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit and the same guy that was once a coward is now a bold witness like Jesus promised. And Jesus did not allow this portion of scripture to be retained in the writings so that we would have a historical account of what took place and we could study it at a later time. 
He, he did not provoke the, 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 the writer Luke of the book of Acts to write this down so that we could all say, yay, good job, Peter, way to go. You're no longer a coward. No, he put this in the scriptures for us. He chose Peter for us. This was an example of what is available to each and every single one of us today. So that when we have denied Christ through our actions, when we have denied Christ through our speech, when we've been unable to stand in the face of temptation, he says, I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit and that power will enable you to do what you are incapable of doing in your flesh. When you could not stand before, now you can stand by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just speak this over you today. You were not called to be enslaved to addiction, to sin patterns, to broken mindsets. You're not called to be guilty and ashamed for your entire life while you live like a coward, never doing anything great for God. No, you are the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You are victorious in him. Proverbs 28, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Come on, you are the bold lions of Jesus out there. Sorry, that got a little bit weird. <laughs> but you will never be bold. You will never be victorious. You will never live free apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You need power. You need the power. And, and I wish I had time today to unpack all the other stuff we see in this text, to talk about tongues and what that means and why the Spirit of God coming upon these disciples is uniquely different than it was in John 20 when Jesus breathed on them and they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I, I wish we could unpack this and go, go through all the different religious understandings and bring some clarity in the room today. I just, I don't have time for that. So you're gonna have to do some homework on that. And I offer you a sermon we preached about a year and a half ago on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You can go back to our series called The Ghost and listen to that and, and, and it'll it'll demystify some of that stuff for you. Or better yet, come to our next uh, Freedom Weekend because we talk about it there too and it's powerful. And all the Freedom Weekend people said, amen, yeah. But I ain't got time for that today. Today, I just wanna focus on this one simple thought as we conclude this series. Because of the Holy Spirit, you are empowered to be a witness. You can stand where you used to fall, where your flesh is weak, you can be strong by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which brings this question that we must answer in our concluding statement. If the power is only found in the Holy Spirit, well then how do we receive this power? How do I receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus told us. He said, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. A lot of religious denominations believe that that's for a group of guys that were in the Bible, but not for the rest of us. So to make sure that we all understand that this is available to the entirety of Christendom, let me read one last scripture. It's the concluding words of Peter in his sermon here on the day of Pentecost. He says this as the worship team comes and we prepare to close. Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the what? The, come on, say it like you mean it. The gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our 
God. Remember I said we come back to gift? We've arrived at that point in the sermon. After Jesus has told his disciples to go and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they will receive power, so that they can be a witness, now Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he says, this gift of the Holy Spirit is not just available to us, it's available to all who will come after us. All who were called by the name of the Lord, our God. That's you, that's me, that's every single person who's put their trust and faith in Jesus after this day. We have all been given the gift of power by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because all of us are called to be a witness and it's impossible to be a witness without that power. So this is a gift that's available to everyone here. And you know how a gift works? It's not earned. It's not labored for. A gift is freely received. You just open it. You just say, I, I will receive the gift that is being offered to me today. And if you're here this morning and you are failing in some areas in your witness, then open the gift. If you need boldness to be a witness, open the gift. If you need the power to break the cycle of a sin in your life, we need to open up this gift of power so that we can be the witnesses God has called us to be. And in just a moment, we're going to pray for that. We lift our hands and we're going to receive power. I, I, nothing's going to get weird, okay? I don't think that tongues of fire are going to appear over our heads and wind is going to blow through this room. It'd be awesome if it did, but that's not what we're chasing. We're just going to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, there's another group of people we need to pray for. And for that, I want to take a moment. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. As Peter presents this gospel to the New Testament church, the hearers in the crowd respond to him and they say, what must we do to be saved? Their hearts were convicted as they listened to him speak, the scriptures say, and they wanted this salvation that was being offered. And we read Peter's response a moment ago. He says, if you want to be saved, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I want this power, but you're not in right relationship with Jesus. Well, Peter tells us that step one is to receive this forgiveness for our sins, to make a decision to be a disciple, and then we can receive this gift of power. So I would be doing you a disservice if I prayed for the room but didn't make space for those who first need to receive forgiveness for their sins before we prayed for power. And if that's you this morning, if you'd say, Tim, I'm at a distance from God. I've been running from Him. I haven't been surrendered. Maybe you used to follow Jesus years ago, but you've drifted, or maybe this is the first time you've heard that there's a God that gave his life so that he could be in relationship with you. I wanna pray a prayer of commitment along with you this morning so that you can make sure things are right between you and God and you can receive this power. And if that's you, if you need to pray that prayer along with me, would you just quickly slip up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, I need to pray with you today. Got you, sweetheart, yeah, thank you. Got you there, bro, awesome. <laughs> Got you in the back, bro. Yeah, both you guys right here, awesome. Hallelujah. Yeah, right over here. Cool. Yeah, I got you in the back. Awesome. 
Anybody else? Cool. Oh, I got you, man. Right on. Thank you. Thank you for waving. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I want all of us to pray together with these making a decision as they, they pray this. I don't want them to feel alone. So everyone repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Forgive me of my sin and help me to be your disciple. I want to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with all those making that choice this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.